an extra points. 24 is tonight. Maybe we'll start that new segment on the show uh, as the yeah. weeks go on. You're not. No. <laughs> uh, that'll do it here for us. For everyone in studio, I'm Jeremy saying so long and good night from Ann Arbor. Gives to Perry. Perry through the middle. Touchdown, Michigan. And the Wolverines have won it in overtime. Michigan wins by a score of 27 to 24. And the team storms the field to mob Chris Perry. WCBN Sports, 88.3 FM, Ann Arbor. WCBN.org. On to attempt it for the Wolverines. Holds her breath at Arbor as Navarre gets set. Places down. Kick is up. It's long enough. It's good! It's good! Michigan wins the game! Michigan shocks Washington and the Wolverines are victorious! Your radio is on. It's on 88.3 FM. WCBN-FM, Ann Arbor's 24-hour open-minded radio surprise pudding. Licensed to the regents of the University of Michigan. Operated by students at the University of Michigan. Uniquely maintained as a healthy alternative and a positive influence on the mental health of the Ann Arbor community. You are here. Well, it's time for another edition of Gray Matters, the weekly news and media talk show. My name is Dick Whaley, and uh, Jim Dwyer has uh, grading responsibilities at school, so he won't be with us this week, but I'm sure uh, he'll be back next week, and uh, maybe we can talk a little bit about J.D. Salinger next week, since uh, English is one of his specialties. I, of course, will uh, mention Howard Zinn at some point, because he was the other relatively famous person that passed away this past week and we'll get to him in a second obviously a kind of interesting week uh, in politics and uh, global economics the Davos uh, uh, summer uh, uh, summit was going on in Switzerland uh, Tony Blair faced uh, a grilling uh, in uh, Great Britain and it's ironic because uh, that was the day that Barack Obama did a sort of British parliamentary-style question-and-answer session with the House Republicans that uh, may have surpassed his performance at uh, the State of the Union. Anyway, 
And, of course, James O'Keefe, um, the pimp, or the guy dressed as a pimp that tried to embarrass Acorn, is arrested in New Orleans, uh, one of the Super Bowl teams, with uh, a bunch of uh, compatriots that are connected to a variety of right-wing think tanks and politicians. While this is not Watergate, uh, shenanigans were involved. And uh, another uh, startling development this past week. Real quickly on the Super Bowl, um, this has become sort of a national holiday of sorts. And uh, I think it's been quite a while since the number one seeds in both conferences uh, ended up in the Super Bowl. And I don't think there's any question that the top three uh, teams this year uh, made it to the semifinal round, Minnesota, New Orleans, and the Colts. So this could be a super, super bowl, and I think it's great that the Who are playing. <laughs> so even uh, music fans uh, can tune in. Uh, what it, wouldn't it be nice if uh, Paul and Ringo made a, a cameo appearance on the uh, rhythm section of the Who, or uh, even better yet, how about Sly and Robbie? But uh, the Who do not disappoint either in their live albums, their rock operas, their albums themselves, or live performances. They are one of the all-time great rock and roll bands, and I would certainly put them in the top five of all time uh, behind the Beatles and the Stones, but uh, the Who uh, just have some absolutely brilliant work. And, of course, the essential Who, uh, Pete Townsend and Daltrey, are still alive. John Entwistle, one of the great bass players of all time, was unfortunately passed away, which is why I mentioned the rhythm section. Anyway, on to the Super Bowl prediction. Uh, the Colts are favored. I think my heart is with New Orleans, but I think the Colts, my brain's with the Colts. Uh, they simply uh, have, in Peyton Manning, um, one of the best quarterbacks that's ever played the game, there are faster guys, there are um, better better uh, passers in terms of pure arm strength and that sort of thing. But Peyton Manning has two things that quarterbacks uh, both acquire over time and pick up as an instinct. He can feel the rush, and he can get the ball to the right guy at the right time. He's just the best reader of defenses at the line of scrimmage that's ever played the game. And uh, I think the Colts will win, barring an injury to Peyton Manning. And their defense is underrated. And by golly, if Minnesota can move the ball uh, as well as they did uh, in New Orleans' own building, um, I think uh, the Colts are going to win this game. But you never know. Weather could be a factor. This isn't indoors. And uh, I think it's unfortunate that two indoor teams are playing in the Super Bowl. Football deserves to be played outdoors. And uh, as uh, much as I like watching Peyton Manning, I'm not a a huge Peyton Manning fan personally, the utmost respect for his uh, ability to read defenses uh, and get the ball to the right person. Uh, you could see a really exciting game with a lot of passing. The era of uh, running the ball is over. Football is a passing game in the, at the professional level now, and that is evidenced by the team's uh, records this past year. So... Uh, my heart's with New Orleans. I think it would be great for the city of New Orleans. And they have a fine team. Drew Brees uh, played uh, 
in the Big Ten. He uh, played at Purdue. Um, and uh, I guess we'll wait and see what happens. But uh, tune into the Super Bowl, even if you're not a football fan. The halftime uh, show should be awesome, and this could be one of the great games of all time. Let's hope it turns out that way. Now, uh, Barack Obama, of course, delivered the State of the Union, his first of uh, his presidency. And I'd say he had a pretty good week. Uh, first, we had the James O'Keefe arrest on Monday, uh, in which uh, this guy kind of connected to the teabag uh, movement, right-wing think tanks, was arrested in New Orleans, uh, pulling a kind of quasi-Watergate-style uh, freak show down there. Um, and he's going to be charged with felonies uh, in, a, in a couple of weeks here, along with his uh, associates, who are also connected to right-wing think groups. This is not Watergate, by the way. Watergate was <laughs> executed by ex-FBI and CIA people who were specialists in bugging and wiretapping and breaking and entering and using disguises and whatnot. But there are some elements here that are similar to Watergate that certainly are fascinating, and uh, we'll see how the investigation unfolds. But uh, it's important to remember that uh, one of the counts that Richard Nixon was uh, impeached on uh, connected to this corporate financing of uh, campaigns was that he allegedly took illegal campaign contributions from ITT and uh, possibly the Milk Producers Association. And one of the new theories about the Watergate break-in that uh, in which Nixon was obsessed with uh, what Larry O'Brien might have known, was he was worried about what Larry O'Brien might have known. And um, while smoking gun tapes have never existed showing that Nixon uh, approved the break-in, uh, circumstantial evidence would indicate that he probably did uh, through John Mitchell somehow, some way. And uh, it's important also to remember that, uh, according to Alexander Haig, who was uh, Nixon's chief of staff, who uh, wrote out the letter of resignation that Nixon ultimately signed and read on national television, there were five to seven deliberate erasures on the Watergate tapes in addition to the infamous 18-and-a-half-minute gap. What these guys were doing down in New Orleans trying to tamper with phones or record advices or whether this was a prank, as uh, the uh, well, James O'Keefe's lawyer claims, is uh, a bit of a mystery, but uh, inquiring minds want to know. So that was a good start for Obama on the week. Then he pulled a fast one on uh, the Republican Party, as well as some liberal Democrats regarding the so-called spending freeze, uh, without going into the arcane aspects of the budget process, uh, we're living in a kind of a strange universe in which um, people are talking past one another without fully understanding how the federal budget works, why we have deficits, what the difference between the debt and the deficit are. And uh, when he talked about a, a, a freeze on discretionary spending, which amounts to about 14% of the total annual budget, liberals were up in arms. Paul Krugman and uh, um, 
Robert Reich, for instance, I heard them both on uh, on radio and television criticizing this pro- uh, proposal. And then immediately uh, in the State of the Union, Obama said, well, we'll start that next year. And then in a sarcastic sort of way, he said, well, that's what budgeting is all about. So this uh, so-called freeze isn't going to happen yet. Uh, Obama released his new budget today that I don't want to talk about. But by uh, leaking that information on Monday, um, everybody was up in arms on Tuesday. And then uh, the Republican Party attempted to uh, set up a commission through legislative fiat to create a, quote, commission to study the deficit. Well, there have been a lot of commissions to study deficits for quite a number of years. And nothing happens. Um, And needless to say, this... uh, Conrad, um, oh, I forget who the other sponsor was. There was a Republican. I I think it was Conrad Gregg sponsored a resolution that failed, and then Obama was able to triumphantly announce at the State of the Union that he would, by executive order, create a commission to study the deficits. He gave a speech that I thought was uh, eloquent at times, but sober. It wasn't uh, full of the flowery rhetoric uh, that we've come accustomed to hearing him in some of his other addresses over the years. But it was a wise political move because he tried to sort of, uh, you know, transcend the fray, transcend. And he went back to these these themes of bipartisanship, which I think he should abandon. But he called the Republicans out on a number of issues. He called the Democrats out on some issues. He called the Supreme Court out on some issues, uh, and uh, Alito, of course, responded uh, visually to one of his critiques, which uh, just involved the recent Supreme Court ruling of five to four regarding corporate spending. Uh, I'm not going to get into a critique of Alito's show of uh, disapproval. Some people have criticized that. I think that's just a a human reaction. But I am going to um, attack Alito on the grounds when he said not true. Uh, that's not true or something to that effect, that uh, Alito and his colleagues on the Supreme Court do not understand the fungibility of money in politics. And, of course, corporations can uh, get involved in our campaigns now. They probably have already been involved in our campaigns. And, indeed, the ITT uh, uh, charge in one of the counts of uh, impeachment Seem to remember that one might not have passed. There were four different counts that were introduced in the House back in 1974, which forced Richard Nixon's resignation. But IT&T was connected to the, uh, it was an international, it was an international telegraph and telephone. It was connected to the Chilean coup. It was uh, connected to funky money that was coming out of Mexico into the Nixon campaign. Um, so foreign money in our campaigns is simply unacceptable, in my opinion, and Obama is right to call out the Supreme Court on that particular issue. And for any uh, uh, Supreme Court justice or any American to believe that uh, foreign money now cannot uh, meander its way into our political campaigns is mistaken. Incidentally, on that particular ruling uh, that Obama was criticizing, There was legislation passed in 1907. Uh, Teddy Roosevelt was the president back then. And uh, this was part of the progressive movement's reform agenda that uh, Teddy Roosevelt agreed with uh, in uh, quite a bit on. And the passage of this law was one of the reasons that he was defeated uh, in the 1908 Republican nomination 
the moneyed interests of Wall Street and whatnot, wanted to claim their party back, so to speak. And William Howard Taft from Ohio, who uh, later was ironically chief justice of the Supreme Court, um, took back the power and the moneyed interests of Wall Street and the business community got behind Taft. They regarded uh, Teddy Roosevelt as a renegade. He, of course, had taken over the presidency due to the assassination of William McKinley. And there was a massive panic, by the way, in American economic uh, economics in 1907. It's called the Panic of 1907. That, of course, uh, was a banking crisis of sorts, uh, something that we've seen uh, recently. And it's been in the news a lot quite a bit lately. There's an attempt to reform the banks. Um, Obama is trying to change the laws, uh, the Republican Senate seems not to be interested, and they seem to have been sandbagged and almost trapped into their own rhetoric that uh, they're behind the Wall Street powers. They're calling these uh, um, fees, quote, unquote, on the banks as a result of the, the TARP money that they received, taxes. They're claiming that there's too much regulation involved in the legislation. There are even reports that Geithner may not be uh, behind the so-called Volcker uh, proposal, and we'll see what happens with that, because that's going to be an upcoming battle over the next several weeks regarding bank reform. But it's quite clear on the issue of too big to fail, which is the um, metaphor and the euphemism that's been used to describe uh, the proposed legislation that the banks were too big to fail. This is why the banks had to be bailed out. The FDIC, which is the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation that was created as a, res as a result of the bank runs during the, the uh, Depression, was created to insure bank deposits against... Um, Mischief by the banks. Glass-Steagall, which uh, Volcker is trying to get back into place, separated these investment banks from commercial banks. And the commercial banks, of course, take deposits from the little people out there, like me and you, and our money is insured by the government. And when the government only has $45 billion in the FDIC deposit insurance fund, as they did back in the fall of 2008, and there is a palpable, tangible, real bank run on a bank as large as Washington Mutual, which was uh, merged into uh, uh, Wells Fargo, I believe, uh, they had $195 billion in insured deposits. So it, it, the federal government didn't have the money there. <laughs> this is why the, the House of Cards was was uh, was was collapsing, and w we saw last week a lot of uh, hoopla and uh, posturing regarding uh, Ben Bernanke and his reappointment to the uh, to the Federal Reserve. Richard Shelby of Shelby Corker and McConnell, the uh, anti-American auto. Uh, law firm that running the Republican Party in the Senate that opposed the bailout of General Motors and uh, Chrysler. Uh, and incidentally, by the way, it's interesting that uh, Toyota, uh, with these uh, problems with the uh, uh, gas pedal, uh, they have a lot of production down in uh, Kentucky.
And while Toyota is in no way, shape, or form going to go broke, um, and they seem to be addressing the problem, uh, this is one of the reasons why we couldn't let General Motors fail. General Motors, indeed, was too big to fail. Let's assume that General Motors had to go bankrupt. It would have caused a ripple of other uh, American manufacturing companies to go bankrupt. The obligations to the federal government under the Pension Guaranteed Trust for, uh, Corporation, or whatever it's called, would have cost taxpayers $250 billion. So they gave them a bridge loan. Not the end of the world. We needed to protect those jobs. And as for the Toyota situation, by the way, I wanted to read this because this gives you an idea of how panicky the American economy can be and how the Internet, for instance, can spread panic and uh, confusion in the public. Um, this according to um, Robert Siren and Anthony Curie of the business section of the New York Times dated the 28th of January says that the gas pedal defect has caused 275 crashes and 18 deaths since 1999. So, you know, 18 deaths, 275 crashes. And Toyota is recalling 2.3 million dollar uh, two uh, excuse me, 2.3 million vehicles and halting production. Now, the defect in the part, by the way, is uh, allegedly connected to a parts plant in Indiana. Uh, the Prius, the reason that the Prius was not uh, recalled, is that is an imported call, a car that's, that's made by Toyota's uh, Japanese production unit. And uh, my understanding of the technical aspects of this defect is that there's some sort of metal in the part that does not respond to moisture well. And the moisture over time causes uh, sort of a decay, a sort of a sticking of the gas pedal, and that's uh, what this is all about. By the way, if you're, uh, you should, by the way, never have a floor mat underneath your brake clutch gas pedal. Those, those are treacherous uh, accoutrements to an automobile. Some people put them in there to, you know, keep so that they don't have to keep keep their carpet a little cleaner, but that's one of those things you just simply don't want to have there. And floor mats um, are just simply not a good idea on the uh, driver's side of any automobile. And incidentally, if you ever have a gas uh, pedal stuck like that, if you have an automatic, shift it into neutral if you can and get to the side of the road as quickly as possible. Also, hit the brake. There is a defect in the Toyota engineering once again, the American auto companies, critiqued all the time by the media, have never had this problem with the defect. Because if you hit the brake, it automatically disengages the uh, gas uh, acceleration. Uh, back in the old days, I'm old enough to remember the old gum-out product that you would have to sometimes spray on your carburetor. Because the carburetor would sometimes stick from it's called gum out because it basically blew out the carbon that was creating the, the the mechanical aspect of a carburetor which of course most cars now most automobiles have these things called fuel in injections we don't have carburetors anymore that was that was a thing that would sometimes cause your accelerator to stick back in the 70s so it's not like this problem has never existed in the history of automobiles but it's a dangerous situation Get your car in neutral. If you've got a manual transmission, switch your uh, 
Hit the clutch, get it in neutral, hit the brake as soon as possible. And incidentally, I heard that Toyota is going to fix this brake acceleration defect in their engineering. Boy, it's a good thing we didn't let General Motors and and Chrysler go broke. Um, so who knows what would have happened to the American economy. Jobs. Obama, of course, is going to focus on jobs in the future, and there will be a big debate about whether or not we should use the federal government to stimulate the economy. Well, on Paul Krugman, I agree with Paul Krugman on this. The stimulus package wasn't big enough. But as for all of the nonsense that we heard last week uh, regarding the budget deficit and who inherited what, it's very important to remember that when the president is comes into power, he's inaugurated on the 20th of January. He submits a budget around this time of year for a fiscal year that starts in September, at the end of September. October 1st is the date. And incidentally, we're going to hear from Jennifer Granholm, uh, apparently in an upcoming her final state of the uh, Michigan address that Michigan needs to change its budgeting process to get these numbers in by July rather than do these last second continuing resolutions that Congresses both at the state and federal level have done uh, for many many years that keeps this budget uh, the, the the budgeting process sort of phony and not real and as for um, some of the numbers, it's interesting when you go back and you check the facts from a year ago, um, and I just wanted to read a, uh, an article by David Hergenshorn, uh dated the 28th of March of last year regarding the Obama budget. He writes, unlike the Bush budgets, the Democrats' budget this year included the cost of war operations in Iraq and Afghanistan. And the House plan took a cue from Mr. Obama and allocated $10 billion a year for disaster relief to end what many officials said was an absurd budgetary assumption that there would be no hurricanes, tornadoes, or floods. Um, Mr. Reed, Harry Reed, said, quote, we are doing something that the, in this budget that is unique during the last eight years, and that's be honest. We're including war costs in this budget. We're including the costs of Social Security in this budget. We're doing something unique in this budget. We have to pay. We have a pay-for plan, and that's everything has to be paid for. This goes back to the Clinton years. So when you hear these silly arguments about Obama increasing the deficit, all this, some you know, they, they make up numbers here. No, the, the, the Obama numbers are just simply more honest. And I would say that the big news out of the State of the Union address was that Obama stated unequivocally that, that the combat troops will be out of Iraq by the end of August of this year. That's going to save a lot of money. And when you talk about this issue of what, whether or not defense spending is discretionary, of course it's discretionary. The United States doesn't need to maintain a 1,000 military bases scattered around the globe in 141 countries. We have the mayor of Okinawa publicly announcing that he wants the American base there closed. Well, let's do him a favor and close it down. Let's save some money. So when you talk about looking at where they need to start looking at the money, 
It's in the Pentagon. And if I have a critique of Obama, uh, that's part of it. And we can certainly talk more about that in upcoming weeks. Very quickly, I wanted to report the passing of Howard Zinn. He, of course, is uh, most famously known for the People's History of the United States. Uh, he's a, he was a World War II veteran, a great guy. And in the um, February 1st edition of The Nation magazine, uh, they have a, uh, a, a, um, their publication that mo- uh, week is dedicated to the one-year anniversary of Obama. And I just wanted to read Howard Zinn's, uh, probably one of the last things he ever wrote. Uh, he writes, I've been searching for a highlight. They're reviewing the Obama administration. The only thing that comes close is some of Obama's rhetoric. I don't see any kind of highlight in his actions and policies. As for disappointments, I wasn't terribly disappointed because I didn't expect that much. I expected him to be a traditional Democratic president. On foreign policy, that's hardly different from a Republican, as nationalistic, expansionistic, and uh, imperialistic and warlike. So in that sense, there's no expectation and no disappointment. On domestic policy, traditionally Democrat presidents are uh, more reformist, closer to to the labor movement, more willing to pass legislation on behalf of ordinary people, and that's been true of Obama. But the Democratic reforms have been limited and cautious. Obama's no exception. On health care, for example, he started out with a compromise, and when you start out with a compromise, you end up with a compromise of a compromise, which is where we are now. I thought on the area of constitutional rights he would be better than he has been, That's the greatest disappointment, because Obama went to Harvard Law School and is presumably dedicated to constitutional rights. But he becomes president, and he's not making significant steps away from the Bush policies. Sure, he keeps talking about closing Guantanamo, but he still treats the prisoners as suspected terrorists, unquote. They have not been tried and have not been found guilty. So when Obama proposes taking people out of Guantanamo and putting them into other prisons, he's not advocating the cause of constitutional rights very far. And then he's gone to court arguing for preventive detention, and he's continued the policy of sending suspects to countries where they well may be tortured. I think people are dazzled by Obama's rhetoric and that people ought to begin to understand that Obama is going to be a mediocre president, which means in our time a dangerous president, unless there's some national movement to push him in a better direction. Those the words of Howard Zinn, historian, recently passed away, great writer, The People's History of the United States, one of those important uh, text uh, books to read uh, if you uh, want to have your mind enlightened. And uh, there's a lot of truth in what he says. That national movement to push him in a better direction might have occurred um, in the last couple of weeks with the defeat of of, uh, Martha Coakley in Massachusetts. And incidentally, the 60-vote issue, that's a bit of a myth. I'll talk about that in upcoming weeks. But uh, I wanted to thank Andrew for engineering once again this evening. It is a little after uh, 7 p.m., and you have been listening to Gray Matters here on WCBN, FM, Ann Arbor. Yazoo City Calling is coming up next uh, right here on this fine station. And by golly, Jerry, if you're down there, play 30 Days in the Hole by Humble Pie. 
and dedicated to James O'Keefe. Because one thing about New Orleans, when you go down there, there's hospitality, there's graciousness, and everybody calls you honey. On a Monday, a Monday, I was arrested. 